While Landry was able to fulsomely express his feelings about his god, he could do little of that about his players, which, not by accident, kept them constantly hungry and in search of a good word from their coach. For these reasons, I was somewhat agnostic about him. But as a football buff, I admired him both for having brought a lamina of intellectualism to the game and for proving that games could be won as much by cogitation as brute force, by information that a computer and not a toothless lineman spit out. On a personal level, Landry was just so confoundingly Delphian. Rather than any human trait, his computerized renditions of football gospel became the metaphor by which most knew him. Even when he would succumb to humanness, pump a fist in the air, whoop and holler upon sweet victory, it was so out of character it seemed staged, like someone learning to dance following numbered footprints. Besides, let's face it, as a liberal New York Jew, I had natural suspicions about this Southern, Christian, Republican, conservative evergreen who seemingly tolerated selective pagans in his midst if they won games for him. When I first wrote a book about a high and mighty football figure, it was a more familiar genotype. Indeed, the pugnacious Jewish New York street kid with psychotic impulses, Oakland Raiders owner Al Davis, was something Landry never could have been. Davis just wasn't courtly or Christian enough. Nobody ever called Tom Landry a maverick. It didn't help Landry when one of his own players, Peter Gent, wrote the greatest sports novel ever, North Dallas 40, which was published in 1973, coincidentally as Landry was basking in the afterglow of his first Super Bowl victory. Gent, who had had his problems with Landry during the author's days as a slick, rebellious wide receiver, took out his frustration on Landry for never becoming the star Gent should have been. In the brilliant Romana Clef and later movie, the Cowboys, in the guise of the North Dallas Bulls, comprised a chain gang of degenerates, racists, angry put-upon blacks, and Jesus freaks, numbing their constant pain with amyl nitrate, cortisol, dexamils, booze, weed, pork rinds, and degenerate sex, while trying desperately to meet the expectations set by their bloodless, uncompromising coach. There would be other works by ex-players who, while they were cowboys, had indulged themselves with, shall we say, compulsions such as child molestation, Lance Renzel, Raphael Septien, and cocaine addiction, Bob Hayes, Thomas Hollywood Henderson, Harvey Martin, and Larry Bethay, among others. Henderson served time for smoking coke with two teenage girls, one in a wheelchair, before threatening both with a gun and sexually assaulting them. Another was convicted of arson, bank robbery, and armed robbery, and killed himself at age 30 by a gunshot to the head. Soon, there was a whole genre of Landry Cowboys literature about the booze-guzzling, pill-popping, groupie-groping Cowboys teams going back to the 1960s that led the league in hell-raising. By the late 1980s, the FBI had interviewed several Cowboys in connection with a drug investigation— and eight of them testified at the trial of Dallas drug dealers. Speculation ran so wild about who was using drugs that not even Cowboy's Bowie Deal, Tony Dorsett, was spared from ugly rumors. Some referred to the Cowboys as South America's team, 
others to the cocaine cowboys. Landry's real legacy is that these modes of behavior became template on the cowboys, expanding beyond his tenure, with the 90s breed of cowboys, two-time champs no less, called menaces on and off the field, hoodlums, nutcases, and out-and-out psychopaths. As Gent might have said, hey, we were first. However, throughout his entire reign, there was rarely a discouraging word in the media about Landry himself. He seemed to exist in an ether above the messiness, by his own design. Neither did the team as a corporate entity suffer any damage. America's team was a combine that turned profits hand over fist. Cowboys jerseys and other tchotchkes have sold better than any other teams, increasing the value of the franchise to the third highest of any sporting enterprise on the globe to date.